nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So everybody, welcome back to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And here at the Zico Health Show, we teach you how to manage your body weight by improving your health. And today, I have a registered dietitian, Michelle Rothenstein. Hopefully, I didn't mess it up. Did I mess it up? No, you're good. Okay, there we go. Ah, oh, I'm getting better. And um, Michelle is perfect for this episode because um, she has over 10 years of experience in science-based cardiology in both prevention and management. And she helps you reduce your risk of heart attack by optimizing your lifestyle and blood values through science-based and personalized nutrition. I love the fact that it's personalized nutrition because really and truly one approach doesn't work for everybody. And at this point, we know that. So Michelle gives you what you actually need to improve your health, which is huge. But today I really want to talk about heart disease because I came across this article from the CDC and it states that heart disease is the leading cause of death for men, women, and people of most, most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. He also says that one person dies every 36 seconds in the US from cardiovascular disease. But this is the kicker here. See, several other medical conditions and lifestyle choices can also put people at a high risk for heart disease. That includes diabetes, didn't think that right, but it's true, overweight and obesity, hence why we have the Zika Health Show, unhealthy dieting, I'm sorry, unhealthy diets. When I say diet, I don't mean just cutting out calories, but eating like crap. Mm -hmm. Physical inactivity, get off that couch, I know it's Christmas time, excessive alcohol use. And this is why we need to take the holistic approach to our health and some of the reasons why maintaining a healthy body weight plays important roles in preventing heart disease. And this is why I have registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, Michelle, on the show today. Hi, Michelle, how are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. I know the scheduling was kind of hard, but we're going to make it work, right? Definitely. So let's start this puppy off. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your qualifications. Sure. So my name is Michelle Rothenstein. I'm a registered dietitian and a preventative cardiology dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. 
I have my uh, my clinic. I have an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree and a residency from New York University in clinical nutrition. And I have over 10 years of experience in science-based cardiology, both in the prevention and management. And just to kind of give an understanding of what that means is there's a lot of risk factors that can increase your risk of heart attacks and strokes. Um, and then there's also certain heart conditions that can also increase your risk of heart attacks and strokes. And so we want to prevent and manage all of these chronic conditions to avoid heart attack prevention. Um, we're really looking at anything that aggravates the blood vessels. So anything from high blood pressure, high cholesterol, a fatty liver disease, gout, high blood sugar levels, um, really so abdominal adiposity, any underlying inflammation like rheumatoid arthritis, um, lupus, all of these things can contribute to heart attacks. And we want to, and, and making, we want to make sure that we are doing the best we can to manage and control all these conditions and prevent any aggravation in the blood vessels so that we won't get a heart attack or a second heart attack if you've already gotten, had one previously. Thank you so much. That was a great intro. And this is going to be a great segue into my next question because we're talking about aggravating the, uh, the blood vessels, right? So heart disease um, is the, um, I think it's about what, 65% of the cause of death in individuals with diabetes. So you, may, you just hint on diabetes a little bit. What is the connection there? Yeah. So um, I want to just preface even before I say that. So you started off saying this really grueling statistic that, you know, it is heart disease and heart attacks affect so many people worldwide. It's the number one cause of death globally. But what we also find in the research is that 80% of heart attacks and heart disease can be prevented through science-based nutrition. And so that's a really big key. So where is this gap? So we're taught, and this is why I even specialize in cardiology because we have this crazy statistic and we have the ability to change it. So why aren't we? And so we need to make a science-based nutrition accessible and personalized so people can adapt it into their lifestyle long-term. Um, now talking about, cause I want to make sure people are empowered by this episode and not like, oh my God, I have diabetes or I have fatty liver disease or I have osteoporosis. I'm going to have a heart attack and get anxious or anxiety driven, it's more of no, I want you to be empowered by this episode to take control of your health, to know your numbers and to really Im implement long term um, lifestyle choices that are going to prevent these complications from happening. I'm so sorry to your question. So diabetes and heart disease are actually very correlated. Um, heart, when we are talking about aggravation in the blood vessel, if you have uncontrolled diabetes and you have blood sugar that's in the bloodstream that's not supposed to be there, that's going to cause inflammation. It's also a sign that you have insulin resistance, which starts um, causing this underlying inflammation and oxidative stress within the blood vessel that can lead to cholesterol and plaque formation in the, in the arteries as well. We know that people who have, high, have diabetes are at higher risk of stress and a higher risk of heart attacks because of this, um, this havoc that's happening in the bloodstream. Um, if we control diabetes, though, we are going to mitigate our heart disease risk, and that's really what we should be concentrating on. And thanks so much for, the, uh, for going back and, make, and clarifying that. I think that's really big because you're correct. We, 
the whole idea is to empower people to work to make their own lifestyle changes, but also work with professionals like yourself that can basically personalize um, their nutrition and their lifestyle. So thank you very much for that. And yeah, so you, I, I like that you tie everything in there though, because you talk about excess information, just say chronic information, and then there's oxidative stress, and then there's the blood sugar, because also there's a sign of insulin resistance, right? So mm -hmm. then would I be wrong and correct me if I'm incorrect, but would I be wrong then by saying that um, being insulin resistant can necessarily be a big issue or could be a driver of actually having heart disease? Yeah, it definitely is very linked. So insulin resistance, to kind of take a step back, means your body is unable to use insulin efficiently. And insulin is you, it helps to put the blood sugar into the cell. So if you're insulin resistant, then blood sugar is outside of the cell, and that can cause a lot of damage in the blood vessel. And so insulin resistance is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and, and heart attacks. So they are very correlated. This also is linked to fatty liver disease. A lot of times people are so honed into fatty liver disease being fat around the liver, but don't realize the connection. Fatty liver disease is actually an insulin resistance disease. And so diabetes and fatty liver disease are both linked together and they both are risk, independent risk factors for heart disease. Um, thankfully though, we can manage them and we can prevent them through science-based nutrition and not just, you know, weight, we, I know that your podcast is very, very focused on weight, but it's also from that perspective of, weight in a healthy way. So it's not just right. So we're not just looking to, you know, cut calories and be a certain BMI or a certain weight. We're really looking at making sure we're getting the nutrients we need for all of the pathways and all these chronic diseases to be controlled. If you are deficient in chromium or if you're deficient in zinc, your body can't use insulin appropriately. So if you're so hyper-focused on calories, the likelihood chance that you're getting all the vitamins and minerals you need for optimal health and for optimal cardiovascular protection and diabetes prevention is likely slim to none. So we need to make sure that we're looking at nutrient density versus nutrient depletion or caloric depletion. I absolutely love that because I do agree that like caloric um, depletion and, and nutrient depletion kind of work kind of hand in hand. Um, but because like the other day I was hanging out with some friends and they all make, they make jokes about me. They say, you don't, you, they just say, oh, they just think I don't eat, right? Because they, they say, I'm trying to lose weight and I can't lose weight. You, you know, you don't, you, you don't eat. What, what's, what's going on or whatever. And somebody else said on the other side of the table, oh, it's just about a calorie risk. It's just about a calorie deficit. And later on in the conversation, I don't know how the conversation came about wine versus beer. And then one of my other friends said, oh, so it's not just a calorie. It's not just a, um, a calorie deficit. And I looked at him. I said, I wasn't going to say anything. But <laughs> now the conversation opened up because we have a nasty mindset, right? We, we really think that losing weight has to do with I'm just going to stop eating. You know, I know watch those movies back in the day and people go on diets and they eat like celery and peanut butter or whatever because they're trying to meet the. They're trying to be on a cheerleading squad or whatever. And we get that, that, that stuff stuck in our minds a lot. But then by constantly restricting calories, especially if you're yo-yo dieting, because that's when it gets really dangerous, then you really run the risk at being nutrient deficient. 
Now, there are times when, with, where I had to take certain foods out of my diet because I was reducing inflammation. I was reducing oxidative stress. I was improving the health of my gut. But once my body was at the, where I wanted it to be, then I could add those foods back in just to make sure I'm not nutrient deficient going forward. So I, I really love that. And with my clients, they laugh at me because you can't use calories with me. That's my personal war. Calories in versus calories out. We're just so much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that. And I love to see more experts like yourself, medical experts and dietitians and nutritionists and doctors who are focused on this now and on this, who actually understands how the human body works and are training people to help have their body operate at more optimal levels. Definitely. So if somebody is, uh, why is keto? Because I think I saw I think this I saw on this. your Instagram, I believe, or maybe it was on your website. But you mentioned keto is not the best approach for someone who has um, fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic non fatty, but uh, I can't talk. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I swear, people, I'm intelligent. I swear to you, I am. <laughs> but um, what's, uh, why do you say so? So the keto diet, from the definition, is really a high-fat diet and a very minimal carbohydrate diet. When we're looking at the research of fatty liver disease and how to reverse it, we want weight loss is definitely one of the most important factors, but we see a lot of research that shows there's therapeutic foods that help to reverse it even more. And I've worked with so many people who have fatty liver disease that reversed it through appropriate therapeutic diet. But when you're consuming a keto diet and you're just having a lot of fat, fatty liver disease is fat accumulation around your liver. So you tell me how that's going to work. <laughs> I definitely get it. And that's one of the dangerous things when I work with individuals or when I do an assessment is the first question I always get, or one of the top three questions is, should I be on keto? Because keto is still the fat thing. I mean, now they, they have um, carnivore diet. Yeah, crazy. The it keto really diet just drives me crazy. Um, what also drives me crazy is this disconnect that people aren't using common sense anymore because they're so hyper-focused and like, I need to lose weight. Is keto going to make me lose 15 pounds in like two weeks? That's what I need to do. And it's like, wait a second, you have organs you need to nourish. You have a health you need to restore for the long term. Let's be really understanding what we're putting in our body. And what I do in my group programs and in my individual programs is I'm a very I'm a strong believer in educating my clients. I want you to understand why I'm telling you this and why I'm telling you to eat more of this and to eat less of that. If something doesn't make sense, please question it. I don't care if your Aunt Sally did the keto diet and lost 100 pounds. I don't care. I want you to take a step back and realize if I go on a keto diet, I'm going to be nutrient deficient. I'm going to be constipated and I'm going to be irritable and I'm going to be eating a ton load of fat. And what's that going to do? It's going to bump up my cholesterol levels. It's going to cause fat accumulation in my arteries and fat accumulation in my liver, which we do not want. A key component to heart disease is if you not have daily, good, effective, voluminous bowel movements, you will have junk piling up in your arteries, leading to narrowing, blockages, and blood clots, and things we really don't want you to have. So please, 
think before you you go for a trend that really, if we use a little bit of common sense, it doesn't make sense. Like a fat, high fat diet for fatty liver disease, like no. I'm not saying a no fat diet, but an extremely high fat diet is going to accelerate your fat accumulation around your liver and your arteries. There's no doubt about it. And I want to add a couple of things to that, um, that I've discovered over the years is one, you may not have the appropriate enzymes to really live on a high fat diet for a long period of time. It's the first issue. And then the second thing is with the keto diet or the carnivore diet is the lack of fiber. Cause we don't realize how important I, I always say that fiber is the fourth macronutrient and it has to be, it's literally what are good bacteria what are good bacteria needs. In addition to that, it actually helps our, our body to actually create short, short change fatty acids that is important energy for our mitochondria as well. So the fact that we keto on the carnivore diet, I'm not telling anybody to do it or not to do it, but just missing those key components is, are also really huge. Mm -hmm. So right. keto, keto diet, if you actually go back to why the keto diet is called the keto diet, is because your body is producing ketones. That's a defense mechanism. That's a survival mechanism. Our brain fuels on carbohydrates. If you don't have carbohydrates, it will utilize protein or fat or whatever you put in your body to source carbohydrates. So the fat is getting broken down into carbohydrates and then you are releasing ketones in your urine. This is a survival mechanism and it can actually lead to death in, in ketosis in, in diabetic coma and in diabetic individuals. So it is not something that your body is, should go to. When we look at the research, the keto diet has been shown long-term to help with children who have epilepsy. But other than that, we've seen a lot of harm versus benefit in implementing it. And I have a theory on that, it hasn't been proven yet. But when I think about um, those studies, I also think about what the keto diet doesn't have. Because if you move someone that's on a high glucose diet, for example, and then you move them to a ketogenic diet, you're removing a lot of those sugars that actually causes inflammation. So I think that that's something that I don't, I haven't seen to really be called out in any of the studies, but I'm kind of curious about that, if that makes any sense. Um, but let's now, let's stop beating up on keto and let's move on a little bit. So let's talk about LDL and HDL. First of all, what are they? Right. So it's, your, your, when you get a lipid panel, you will have your total cholesterol, you have your LDL, your HDL, and your triglycerides. Your LDL is considered your bad cholesterol because it, it promotes the plaque in the artery. It's a sign that you are having cholesterol depositing in your bloodstream, which we don't want. Your HDL is considered your good cholesterol because it helps to effectively lower some of the LDL um, cholesterol. So it's considered good because it's more protective for cardiovascular health. Um, these are very basic. Um, a lot of people who have a genetic history of heart disease um, or who have an indication for me to kind of go looking at in a more like 
in closer view, I like to look at more of an advanced panel that breaks down LDL into either small and dense LDL or large and buoyant LDL. The more small and dense LDL someone has, the more atherogenic because it penetrates the arterial wall and can cause plaque to form in the arteries. The more larger your LDL, the harder it is to break through the arterial wall, so it's not going to form plaque as readily. So the basicness though is LDL and HDL, and everybody should know your numbers because doctors a lot of times won't tell you your LDL is high until you're ready for medication because for them, they don't see an intervention needed. So it's important that if your LDL is above 100, for people who have no cardiovascular risk, who have no genetic or family risk, uh, less than 100 is okay. But if you have cardiovascular risk or you have family history or you've had a cardiac event or you have diabetes or you have any other high risk factors for heart disease, you want your LDL to be less than 70. I didn't know the genetic connection. Thank you so much for that. Um, that, that I was not aware of. So really thanks for sharing that. And then in addition to, I wanna talk about nutritional approaches, right? So just generally speaking, I know for everyone it may look different and we, we acknowledge that, but what are some general nutritional approaches to lowering LDL and increasing HDL? Yeah, so we want to decrease your um, saturated fat intake to help with lowering LDL. And so those things are found in things like red meat, it's found in coconut products, it's found in cheese, it's found in palm kernel oil, it's found in um, certain baked goods. So we wanna really be cognizant of the saturated fat that you are consuming. And we also wanna make sure that you have enough soluble fiber to help bind the saturated, the cholesterol or any of the junk in the arteries to excrete it when you have a bowel movement. When it comes to HDL, it's primarily increased by physical movement. Um, more duration than anything else, but also we've seen that yoga, resistance training, um, aerobic and anaerobic has a better effect on HDL than actual nutrition. But from a nutrition perspective, there are a couple of foods that can help increase it, such as extra virgin cold-pressed olive oil, paprika, and cumin. I wasn't planning on asking this, but now I'm curious, because um, you mentioned oils. So, um, quote unquote vegetable oils, we know they're not really vegetable oils. Do they have an impact on uh, LDL or HDL? Yeah, so all, uh, all oils will have a different saturated and monounsaturated profile. We really want to avoid slash reduce as much saturated fat as possible while increasing monounsaturated fat. So depending on the oil, that would give us that ratio. Many vegetable oils are highly processed, which leads to inflammation in the arteries. Inflammation is one of the first steps for activating cholesterol formation and um, binding into the, into the arteries leading to that plaque. So we do want to reduce them, but it's not that we have to avoid all fat, it's we wanna choose the heart healthier fats versus the ones that will clog the arteries. And then not to beat up on keto anymore, but that kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier, because if you have um, a, a high LDL, low HDL, and you go on the keto diet, especially if you have underlying health issue, or if you're genetically more prone to heart disease, then going on a, especially when you're not, if you're not guided, because a lot of us think fried chicken is the keto diet. <laughs> so as long as you're not eating carbs, right? 
So then that's a, that's another issue in itself that can then lead to you know problems down the road. And you mentioned something too about ketones and about it being a stress response, which also can have an impact on your um, on your cortisol levels too, because it is a stress response. Um, especially if you don't have adequate gut enzymes, which I'm not going to get into that completely, but that's something that we also have to consider. Um, but now let's talk about osteoporosis, because I was reading somewhere where it's associated with 79% of higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Why is that so? So when we look at um, osteoporosis, it is a lot of bone mineralization that's going, demineralization and mineralization. And that breakdown is the same process that happens when we are having calcium depositing into the arteries. So if us, if your bones are constantly going between the shift of calcium, some of the calcium can leak into the heart muscle and lead to calcification of the arteries, which leads to stiffness in the arteries. We also know that osteoporosis and atherosclerosis, which is the cardiovascular disease where plaque is formed in the arteries, are both very inflammatory. So they share that link. And we know also that around the same time that osteoporosis gets discovered is when women, for instance, have an estrogen deficiency. They're in menopause. And so that coupling it together can also increase the risk of cardiovascular disease that much more. So there's many aspects to it. Um, I also find that many people who are, have osteoporosis will take a calcium supplement and high dose calcium has been shown to actually lead to calcification in the arteries because the calcium, instead of going into, if it's not in the right matrix, it doesn't go into the bone, it goes into the soft tissue. And so that can lead to, we always talk about cholesterol clogging the arteries, but that calcium plus the cholesterol and the fibrous material can also lead to stiffness and rigidity in the arteries that also leads to that calcified plaque that will lead to a cardiovascular event. So I'm, um, I'm a big child and you just said the matrix, then my mind just completely went into a whole different level somewhere else just a while ago, but I'm following you, I'm following you. So let's talk about the matrix then, because uh, if someone um, does have osteoporosis, when we hear from a child, drink milk because calcium is good for your bones or and then people yeah. now it's all about supplements. What is that matrix that you're referring, that you're referring to? Right, so we need, Calcium needs vitamin D in order to be absorbed, okay? But vitamin D needs magnesium to be absorbed. Calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, and then we need vitamin K2 to ensure that the calcium goes into the bone and not the soft tissue. So those four need to be happening together. But it's not as easy as just going to the, to the vitamin shop and taking a bunch of vitamins, really. You need to, you, it, it really, I, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, definitely, but I'm assuming that you need a correct ratio for maybe, let's say, your stage of osteoporosis, maybe? Yes and no. It's more about what are you, how much calcium can you get from food? So I am not a dietitian who's going to say everyone needs to go vegan. I'm not a dietitian who's going to say that you have to follow this diet. When I say I'm personalized, what I do is I say, hey, what are you, what, what, where, where are you now? What do you feel is realistic? What can you do in five, 10 years? If someone comes to me and says I'm vegan, I'll make sure that they get all the nutrients they need on a vegan diet. But if somebody comes to me and they, they eat dairy products, 
that's okay. I'm not going to tell them they have to stop that. I'm going to help them choose the anti-inflammatory dairy products and I'm going to have them choose it in the right quantities. So when it comes to foods, we can make sure that you're getting, I don't well, I never recommend a supplement generally, like everyone needs to be on this or that because there's no such thing. Like even someone on a statin, they say, oh, be on CoQ10. But if you're on metropolol, which many people are on metropolol and a statin, it's contraindicated to be on a CoQ10 supplement, right? So I can't, so it's not that simple. I feel like one of the most popular questions in my direct message box, what supplements can I take for heart health? I'm like, I'm sorry, I wish I can tell you a general one. It's not simple. So if someone has osteoporosis and we're working together, I'm very big on calculating how much calcium they're consuming in food and making sure they have the magnesium, the vitamin K2, making sure that they have all of the nutrients in the right matrix in order for um, them to thrive. If they can't get it through food, because some people simply can't, if you're vegan, you have to eat 15 cups of kale to get your calcium needs. Are you going to do that? No, no one's going to do that. So we have to be realistic. So if a calcium supplement is needed, that's perfectly okay. It's the high dose calcium that we don't want. So we would mitigate how much calcium we would put in the diet and we put it in the right amount and in the right brand that is coming from a, from a verified supplement. And then I'm okay with adding in a low dose calcium as needed based on the person. But we first need to see what we are doing because we don't want to overjunk your body with a lot of supplements. It's hard on your liver, it's hard on your kidneys, and we simply can't replicate the properties that food has in a supplemental form. We just can't. When you have asparagus, for instance, it's not just folate. You're now having fiber, you're having potassium, you're having a whole food matrix. Sorry, matrix comes up again. But when you eat, when you go to a supplement store, you can just buy folic acid on the side. That's not how it comes in food. And so we need to really get down to how do we maximize your nutrition to minimize the supplement companies, uh, the interest in that, because supplements are not regulated. We've seen in consumer reports that they have arsenic and lead and so much fillers and crap. We don't even know what's in our supplements. Um, and so I'm very big about food first because that's where the research is. And that's how we know we really can protect your heart and prevent complications of chronic disease. And not even just the research, but we have to look at it anecdotally as well. I mean, a, a couple of thousand years ago, I don't know when supplements came to, to be, but our, our ancestors weren't taking supplements. They were eating food. They're like We evolved on food. I, I remember one of my uh, colleagues, one of my colleagues, a friend of mine, sent me a text message. And she said, um, yeah, should, I have, should I be eating protein bars? What are the benefits? And I kind of laid out to her, you know, had to ask some follow-up questions. I'm like, why are you asking me about protein bars? And she said, well, they, they recommended me this bar and she sent it to me. And it wasn't the bad bar, it's one of the popular ones. But I asked, well, I said, who is they? And then she showed me that, I think it was Beachbody or one of those things that they were doing and they were pushing the protein bar. And um, I started talking about getting adequate protein from her diet. And, you know, I said, if you know, I may eat protein bars from time to time or drink a protein shake because of how much I lift. But in her case, she doesn't even get adequate protein from her diet. So there's no need to get a protein bar because getting a protein bar is not going to be, oh, now I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to gain 10 pounds of muscle because I'm taking this protein bar. And not just that too, pro uh, not all proteins are created the same. Like, it's just like you're saying about with food, right? They, they break down to amino acids. We know we have essential amino acids and different types and 
not going to bore anybody with all that debate, all that information right now. But you know how it is. Like, so when it comes to getting from food first, it's, it's nature is designed to feed us the way we're supposed to eat. Even, I know we didn't, we're not really talking about this anymore, but even with uh, sugars, you know, there's a difference between drinking a soda, I mean, not even soda, drinking orange juice and eating an orange. It's completely different. Because when you drink an orange, when you drink orange juice, first of all, you get way more sugar than you would have gotten from the orange, even if it's not sweetened. And then two, you don't get any fiber or very minimal fiber if there is any, right? Because how the food is designed in nature is how we actually are supposed to eat it because you know that the fiber actually slows down the digestion of the food, which helps keep our blood sugar steady. So I always tell people that if, especially if they're older, they're trying to lose weight, even if they're not insulin resistant, get off the juice, get off the sodas, because those literally do nothing for you, but shoot that blood sugar. So you're 100% right. Thank you so much. And you've given us a lot of good information. Really, really have. I think my audience is really going to benefit from this. I'm so glad. It was great talking with you. So you've given us a lot of good information. And you, you are really an expert in what you do. And I really do appreciate that. And I want my audience to really to be able to get in touch with you. So tell us more about your six-week heart optimization program. And how can my audience get in touch with you? Sure. It was lovely chatting with you, and I really appreciate the time that we have together. Um, so my six-week heart opposition group program is really giving you all the tools you need to be confident in reducing your risk of heart attacks and strokes and really addressing all the underlying risk factors. So every week for six weeks, we have a live lecture where I go over the underlying root causes, speaking into insulin resistance, blood pressure, plaque formation, oxidative stress, underlying inflammation, really getting to the root cause and really having you understand what foods we want to add into your diet and why, what foods we want to decrease in your diet and why, and really giving you all the tools and strategies to make sure that you're successful in reaching those goals. It also comes with a closed Facebook group where you can ask all of your questions. I give you recipe ideas and snack ideas and really quick assembly meals so that you can do things really quick, but still get all of the nutrients that you need. Um, and you also can ask me all of your questions in that closed Facebook group as well. So it's really hands-on and it's a beautiful community that supports each other and really feels supported not just, not by, just me, by me but knowing that there's other people in their shoes doing the same thing that they're doing and really feeling empowered to meet their goals and continue making this into a lifestyle and be long-term behavior change i really love doing them i've seen such great results and such reduction in blood pressure cholesterol blood sugar weight waist circumference I've been doing, I think this will be my 10th group that I'll be doing. And it's just, it's such a beautiful community. I love doing these groups. I see um, your, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and, and if you want to get in touch with me, you can feel free to send me a message, um, either email me um, at michelleandentirelynourished.com, or you can feel free to ping me on Instagram, follow me on heart.health.nutritionist. I'd love to have you in that community as well. Perfect. Um, her um, contact information will, will be in the show notes and also in the description of the podcast. And we follow each other on Instagram. So if you follow me and you want to get in touch with Michelle, I can put you in contact with her as well. But of course, I'll, again, I'll make sure that our information are in the show notes. I think this is going to be seekerhealth.com slash 
Michelle R. Let me put it that way. That's what's going to be. ZikaHealth.com slash Michelle R. I'm not very creative, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I do see your testimonials on, um, and there are a lot of them on, um, on Instagram. And that's amazing because it, it wakes up something in me when I see it. It makes me realize how important, how so many habits and health issues that we have can really change. I should I think I said that wrong. A lot of health issues that we have can be changed by our habits. There we go. So um, thank you so much. And I, I love the fact that there are more there are more health experts like yourself who are enlightened and are really helping each other, not just putting them on medication, but helping them change their lives for the long term. So thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And uh, Michelle, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off and hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there with family, friends, coworkers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.